former governor of South Carolina, ambassador to the U.N., Republican presidential candidate. Good morning, Governor. Thanks for being in our studios. Jack, it's great to be back in New Hampshire. We are excited, and I will tell you this. I will never complain about it being cold in New Hampshire again. After negative 40 wind chill in Iowa, it actually feels warm here in New Hampshire, but we're thrilled to be back. We're super excited. It's go time. You're like one of these NFL uh Teams, I don't know how much you got on the uh, the plane and uh, sleep, but uh, early start uh, after Iowa, Governor. Before we talk about New Hampshire, what what kind of went on there? I mean, I, you know, weather might have played a fact, must have played a factor in who got out. I mean, look, I think. Um you know, first of all, we got here last night. We came immediately. We're working off of an hour sleep, but we're super excited. I was happy with what happened in Iowa. Look, that is a very pro-Trump state. You know, it's not New Hampshire. It's a very pro-Trump state. And he got 50 percent. But we were really happy to come in. We wanted to be strong in Iowa. We want to be even stronger in New Hampshire. And we want to get stronger than that in South Carolina. That's always been our goal. So now we're ready to come to New Hampshire and do our thing here. We've already done well over 75 town halls here over the last 11 months, shaking every hand, answering every question, being the last person to leave. And we're going to put it all out on the table and try and earn every Granite Stater's vote. So kind of about what you expected, a different, do you think uh, the weather did keep some caucus, affect the caucus scores? I mean, you come out of there, I guess, DeSantis, uh, dis, you know, second, you're right next to DeSantis. So kind of, you know, Trump was the story, if you will, but we'll see what happens here. Yeah, Iowans are tough. And, you know, you got to hand it to them. They came out in that frigid weather. I think that there were certain groups that were compromised, seniors or anyone that, you know, may have had asthma and some other things. They didn't come out. So I'm sure the turnout was not as big as what we would have hoped. But, you know, I think Iowans were very good to us. And I appreciated the hospitality. We learned a lot. But now we head over to New Hampshire. And that's in the rearview mirror. And New Hampshire is what I'm looking at. I believe there's a debate scheduled between now and this next Tuesday in New Hampshire in at St. Anselm College, Institute of Politics. I think it's an ABC local affiliate, WMUR, my alma mater. And you're obviously one of the hot commodities, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. Have you committed to that debate yet? Is Donald Trump going to be there? As far as I know right now, I think you, that's as good as guess as anyone. My guess is he hasn't debated to this point. Why start now? I mean, listen, I've done five debates. We've had great showings in all five debates. Right now, I'm a stone's throw away from him. If you look at the polls, DeSantis is single digits. That's not what I'm interested in. I want Trump on that stage. If Trump gets on that stage, there's no question about me being up there. But until he gets on that stage, he can't hide forever. And at some point, he needs to go and fight for the support of people in New Hampshire. Um, so, but no, I, look, I've debated Ron five times. I don't need to debate him again. Yeah. I'm going after well, the front runner. I think it would be, I think it's fair to say you haven't avoided any debates, but the media is listening. So the question they're going to want to know is, will you debate if Trump does not? I want Trump. I want Trump on that stage. If Trump gets on that stage, I'm on that stage. But and, right and now, this is a two-person race in New Hampshire. You can look at it. Look at the last well, poll that came out. It is a two-person race. Why would I debate anybody else than the person that I'm trying to defeat? Is it fair to say if the former president does not, you probably won't? If Trump's on that stage, I'm on that stage. Who am I going to debate? Every, <laughs> I'm not going to debate people in single digits. I want to debate the person that I'm seven points away from beating. Let's talk about next Tuesday. I've talked to some great uh, experts, B.J. Perry, a buddy of mine, Neil Levesque, uh, you know, at the college oh, and some other guys. folks. Yeah. Uh, people have been looking at this and they're trying to we're all trying to figure out something. How many people are going to vote next Tuesday? I think some of the models I'm looking at, because, you know, the Democrats, not a big race there. They, they're ignoring New Hampshire. Uh, it might be two hundred and sixty thousand voters next Tuesday or more. 
if it's anything over 260,000, my experience in this state, in these primaries, is you can't predict what's going to happen next Tuesday because that means a lot of independents, a lot of undeclares are going to vote. Because if you look at the Republican primaries, that's a big number. So the question is, what's your path between now and next Tuesday? How do you close the apparent gap in the national and local polls with Trump? How do you do it here in a real primary state, no disrespect to Iowa, in, in, a, in basically a week's time, if it's going to be that many votes? What's your path to victory in New Hampshire, and do you still, are you still feeling optimistic that you can send a surprise to the nation next Tuesday? Well, first of all, I think you're going to have a great turnout, um, not because it's the weather, but because... 70% of Americans don't want to see a rematch between Biden and Trump. They both have unfavorables. People have said over and over again, this is not what they want. We don't need to have a choice, with all due respect, with two more 80-year-olds. That's not where we need to go. We've got serious issues. We need a new generational leader that's going to lead our country into a place where we're talking about solutions. Both of these fellas are sitting there dealing with investigations and talking about the past. That is not where Americans are. Americans want to know how we're going to get the economy back on track and get inflation down. They want to know how we're going to get our kids reading again and make sure we have, you know, transparency in the classroom. They want to secure our border. No more excuses. They want law and order back in our country. They want to deal with fentanyl and mental health and get those things under control. And they don't want to go to war. They want to prevent war. And they want to know how people are going to do that. But what are you saying? Both these guys are talking about things that are not that. They don't have a clear vision of where we're going to go um, forward. I do. I'm an accountant. I know what it takes to get our debt down. You don't have to spend trillions of dollars. And that's what Biden and Trump did. They spent trillions of dollars putting us in debt. And our kids will never forgive them for that. Listen to Governor former governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley, Republican presidential candidate. We sit at 9.15 Eastern Time, January 16th, one week from today, the first in the nation presidential primary. Ironically, a lot of people didn't know the significance of next Tuesday months ago when the DNC and Joe Biden decided to steal New Hampshire's primary. The little problem they had on the way to that was the Secretary of State sets the primary, not the DNC. Let's go back to Nikki Haley live. Good morning, New Hampshire, the Pulse of an Edge. Governor, I have seen... A thing or two, I'm like that uh, insurance commercial over time in terms of primaries here. National media moves in pretty much now after Iowa and before, you know, South Carolina we were from. And they, they think they kind of know what's going to happen. And that didn't really work when someone named George W. Bush was sitting in the downtown hotel in Manchester, the governor of Texas, and he saw John McCain come in and win New Hampshire rather big. Didn't happen when, um, you know, a few other races they thought one thing and something else happened so my my question is momentum momentum i've seen in the past who's got momentum because it seems to me that donald trump like neil vex said is a goalpost in the football state he has a number i don't know if that's momentum it doesn't seem to move but he has a number if more than 250 600,000 people are going to vote next week momentum might be the key here of some of these people who may not be trump voters so how do you regain or do you feel you have that momentum in the next several days, especially Wednesday through the weekend, how do you grab that lightning in a bottle momentum and carry it into Tuesday? I, mean, I think we've been anywhere and everywhere. We're going to continue to do that and make sure we get our message out there. You know, this we didn't just show up here. We've been here for 11 months. We've got a lot of supporters. And what we're seeing is people are getting out and voting for the first time. We're seeing people come out of the woodwork saying that I'm going to vote in this election because they're tired. They don't want the chaos. They don't want the division. But more than that, they want some sanity again. I mean, I have said over and over again, I voted for Trump twice. I was proud to serve in his administration. But rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him. 
And we cannot be a country in disarray and have a world on fire and go through four more years of chaos. We won't survive it. And even more than that, we cannot have a President Kamala Harris. And if you look at every one of those general election polls, everyone, Trump is margin of error with Biden, maybe two points up on a good day. I totally slay Biden in a general election. Do you know what that means? That's bigger than the presidency. That's going into D.C. with a mandate to get this wasteful spending out of the way and start getting our economy back on track. That's a mandate to start getting education back to the basics and getting our kids back on track. That's a mandate to secure our border with no more excuses. That's a mandate for law and order in this country. And that's a mandate for a strong America that we can be proud of. That's what Americans want. That's what I believe the people of New Hampshire want. And that's what we're going to give them. It seems to me sometimes I always use the analogy of the Olympics presidential early contest or like the Olympics. There's a medal round, and no doubt, regardless of what happens next Tuesday, you'll go on in that medal round, and it will be down to South Carolina. That's where you're from, that you were governor of that state. Ron DeSantis appears to already maybe be looking beyond New Hampshire because he's in South Carolina today, this morning before New Hampshire after Iowa. Are you looking beyond New Hampshire? And then the next question is if you can do well next Tuesday – uh, some people say Trump has an edge down in South Carolina. He can run all the way to Super Tuesday and wrap up the nomination, even if he doesn't do as well this next Tuesday. Do you believe that? Underestimate me. That's always fun. When we started, there were 14 people in the race, and I had 2% in the polls, and I heard all of these things. Now you're seeing we're second place in New Hampshire, we're second place in South Carolina, and we're gaining on him. So we're looking at New Hampshire, we're looking at South Carolina, and we're looking at going forward. We've been smart with how we run our campaign. We haven't had turnover. We've really spent our money wisely, and we're ready to go. And we're going to go and be a force throughout New Hampshire talking to everybody, touching every person. You saw I got an hour sleep last night because there is no time to waste. We were already in the Red Arrow Diner this morning um, talking to a bunch of people, and we're going to um, head up to the North Country. So we're going to continue to touch everybody and make sure we do this. Americans want something different. They do. They just need to know it's possible. And what I will tell you is don't complain about what happens in a general election if you don't play in this primary. Tuesday is the day where New Hampshire can definitely right the ship. And we're ready. The country is watching. And so now it's your turn to show them what New Hampshire's like and where we're going to go. You may have answered my last question, Governor Haley. Thanks for the time this morning. I know not much sleep overnight, but you know that you probably expected that. The question is, Chris Christie's out. Ramaswamy's out. He's already endorsed Trump. Christie has not endorsed anyone, to my knowledge. Um, And then there, Ron DeSantis probably stays in, even though he's in South Carolina. So what do you say to some of these other non-Trump Republican likely voters Why you? Because I think that it's time that we get a new generational leader. And I think that it's it's time to stop with the chaos and the division and the hatred. Look, the reason I'm doing this, I don't want my kids to live like this. We can't sit there and have them worry about what's going to happen. They see this debt. They're worried they're going to have to pay it back. They're wondering how they're ever going to buy a home. The average home buyer now is 49 years old. The American dream's leaving them. They're wondering how they're going to get a job, what they're going to afford. And, the, and I don't want our kids to sit there and not see the American dream for what it is. I want to stop this national self-loathing that's happened in our country and get Americans invested in loving our country again. That's when we'll be strong. That's when we'll be proud. And that's when we'll do this. And I have always over-communicated in every job I have. I want to tell everybody, every American, what's facing us, 
how we're going to fix it and how we're going to do it together. And I've been a two-term governor that took a double-digit unemployment state and turned it into an economic powerhouse. I also dealt with Russia, China, Iran every day at the United Nations. I've got executive and I've got foreign policy experience. Now, I think the one thing that we need to make sure we do is also put an accountant in the White House, and I'm that too. So let's go ahead and get it done. You mean we can actually cut a $34 trillion deficit? I didn't know anything could be cut in Washington. Can you imagine? I mean, you want to talk about anything. Donald Trump put us $8 trillion in debt in just four years. Everybody talks about what a good economy that was. But he totally ran up the credit card to do it. That's not how you fix an economy. We're going to run 30-second one, not a debate. We'll see what happens Thursday night if Donald Trump's going to debate or not. My suspicion is he won't, but you never know. Um, you've been at this really a lot in New Hampshire. If you had to say and you've done the governor, you former ambassador, you went, what's the biggest personal surprise you've had in this running for president thus far? Is there anything that you just say to your your family and Friends, wow, I didn't expect that, or I did this, or this. Is there anything personal you take away at this point or not? You know, I've loved the personalities of each state. In Iowa, they're very guarded. You know, they're hardworking, faithful people, um, very patriotic, but they're very guarded. You know, they, they're, it's a tough nut to crack. You come to New Hampshire, and what I love is they wear their feelings on their sleeve. They tell you exactly what they think. They tell you exactly what they're going to do. Um, there's great energy here in New Hampshire. So I really loved just seeing, you know, the different cultures of each state, listening to people, learning what they care about. You've got a great um, – I love that New Hampshire has a tremendous veteran community here mm-hmm. because as a military spouse and a husband who's deployed – Is he that, currently deployed, your husband, right he now? He is currently still deployed, yes. Wow, he while is, you're running for president. Um, he's been gone six months, and I'll tell you this, Jack, it's important. When I dropped him off at 4 a.m., I watched him and 230 soldiers yeah. pick up their two duffel bags of belongings to go to a country they'd never been, all in the name of protecting America. If they're willing to sacrifice their lives for us, we should be willing to fight for America here. I'm not trying to be like one of those national hosts who goes on the uh, personal side, but I'm going to ask, has it been tough with him deployed and you running for president this schedule? Absolutely. I mean, he's like my right arm. We've always done it. We we started dating when I was 17. We've been married for 26 years. We've never done anything apart, but I am so proud of him, and he's so proud of me. And um, yes, it's hard, but we both know we have a country to save. He's doing it his way with military service, um, and God bless him for it, and I'm doing it my way, trying to save our country running for president. Governor Nikki Haley in our studios, thanks for the time. Where are you off to? Um, We are off, I think, to the North Country. And... Go to NikkiHaley.com, and it'll tell you everywhere well, you we're going. I were at some diner this morning. I was at Red Arrow Diner. I mean, I'm telling you, we are going to be anywhere <laughs> and, and everywhere. We're, are we going to see up. a lot of Governor Sununu with you this week? Yes. He is. We are putting him to work, but he is so energized and ready to go. He's been fighting for us the whole time get, we were in get Iowa. Get him on a snow groom or a skier. You know, he knows how to operate one. He actually does. He actually knows how to operate one of those big snow kids. Good morning, New Hampshire. Powered by Sig Sauer. Now, back to Jack Heath on the Pulse of New Hampshire. All right, welcome back on a uh, snowy, snowy Tuesday. We're in that window, Neil Levesque, Institute of Politics, St. Anselm College. We're in that window, Neil. We're in that window. All eyes in New Hampshire just had Governor Nikki Haley. And one of the big stories is your campus. We'll be broadcasting there next Tuesday live in the West Wing, um, the morning of and the evening when the votes come in. Uh, Neil, you have a big debate. Was it Thursday night? It's Thursday night, the big ABC News WNUR debate, 9 p.m. 
you know, uh, she, I heard what she said on your program, and uh, she wants to debate Donald Trump, I think. Uh, it's an interesting development for sure. Um, we'll see how this transpires. I mean, everything right now is gearing up for this challenger who you just had on your program, which is a great thing to have, uh, you know, Nikki Haley the day after the Iowa on your show. Everything is sort of ripe, and the table is set for her to potentially challenge Trump at this point. So we've had shrinking polls. She's got momentum on her side. She's working hard. Um, she's out. <laughs> she was already at the Red Arrow Diner yeah. meeting the three people who sit in the booths there. But the point is, is that she's out there. She's got Sununu crisscrossing the state as well. So everything is ripe for something to happen well, here in New Hampshire, as it has in the past. Let's, so, go, let's go back to we'll some see. dynamics. Um, yep. Right on your point, Neil Beck. By the way, everyone here says hi. We have a classroom from Elon College that's listening. They just happen to be here. Of course, North Carolina, they were thrilled to see one of the major candidates, and they want to be, you know, combine and say hi to you at some point. But my point is, this morning, after Iowa, Neil, former President Donald Trump, big win, big showing there, no question, huge, if you will, as he would say. He's at a courthouse in New York this morning. Now, he's coming to Atkinson later here, but he's at a, you know, he goes from there to a courthouse because of the legal distractions or noise. And then... You have Nikki Haley here, and Ron DeSantis goes to South Carolina first. Is he writing off New Hampshire, or do you just feel it's not going to do well, or what, what's going on? Well, I think DeSantis, you know, he's looking at the polls here, and they're figuring maybe our last hope is a southern state like South Carolina, and he's moved on. I think that's a mistake in the fact that if you don't have a headline coming out of New Hampshire, uh, you, you know, at some point the donors dry up, and you have to have resources in order to run for president. Second thing is, is that, you know, the Trump uh, situation with him in the courtroom, the point is, is that this is chaos. And if you go out and you poll a lot of voters right now in New Hampshire, you'll hear the words, they don't like the chaos. So it's a reminder. So you have this contrast where you have Haley crisscrossing the snowy New Hampshire, going around to places like the Red Arrow Diner and, and the Mount Washington Resort today and Trump, who's in court. So that's not to his benefit as the former president. There's there's no doubt about it. And I think that to her benefit, she's here and she's working really hard. I, I'll say one other thing about the interview I thought was interesting. And I thought I listened to her speech last night, same thing. It's really amazing the fact that she's doing what she's doing and her husband is deployed. And you did hear something in her voice where this is a woman who is clearly her spouse means a lot to her, and they've been married a long time. And here he is off deployed, yeah. wearing the American uniform. I thought it was a really interesting thing. She mentioned it in her speech last night as well. But where's the national media pointing out? I mean, I'm curious. I support veterans. I thank them for everything we have. Not one story on that. Um, you know, you're doing all this while your husband's actually deployed while, what, less than 1% serves, and we have 330 million Americans feeling pretty entitled. But anyway, Neil, let me go back. When I I was trying to be respectful the morning after Iowa to the governor, but I, I think I asked her three times on this debate, is she going to debate Thursday night at your college? Because it's a big debate before the primary. And she you can't say she's avoided any debates, but she, I asked her, you know, if Trump, as Trump said yes, I don't think he has. If Trump's there, I'm there. Asked her again. If Trump's there, I'm there. Asked her again. And you and I know that Donald Trump has been winning, and like the NFL, when you're winning, you don't change your game plan. 
Um, if he hasn't debated to this point, why would he all of a sudden debate Thursday night? Why? It, you know, well, so, the, hold on, hold on. So my point is, I doubt Donald Trump's going to debate. So if he doesn't debate, does that mean she's not going to debate? Well, we heard what she said. She said she wants to debate Trump. I think that the point is, is that he may decide to. If if we start seeing polls, you're going to start to see polls this week, tomorrow especially, coming out. And she's within the margin of error. Uh, he may he may say, I but I I got to get into this. I got to start doing this now. Last night he had a different opinion. He said it's time for for the party and the country to consolidate around him and come together around him. So he has a different he had a different approach last night rather than this. If she's surprising him and coming up, he may decide to debate, and he certainly has that option to do so if he wants to. I think that uh, debates are good, particularly when you have the amount of viewership of WMUR-TV in New Hampshire, that it's good. And everything that you're doing right now as a challenger is a pivot point, and I think it's to their both their advantages to debate. Well, it's interesting what's going to happen. Now, you're, you have a sense by, say, by, by Thursday, and of course Friday may be the pivotal time, are you going to go back into the field at all? Do you get a sense? And, and Neil, I, I've heard different numbers this morning. Um, some people feel that more than 260,000 people may vote in the Republican, mostly the primary next Thursday, because it's really a Republican primary, even though Dean Phillips is running, Marion Williams, and Joe Biden not on the ballot. Democrats are asking people to write them in. So the Democrats, no real Democrat race. But if more than 250,000 people vote, and a lot of them are not your traditional Trump voter, if you will, is this thing up in the air, or does Trump have a definite edge or lead that might be 10 points? That's a wall that no one's going to penetrate. Well, I think at this point, if you're an undeclared voter and you can take a Republican ballot and participate in this, you might do it. I mean, they're trying to get Democrats and undeclareds to write in Joe Biden. The advertisement, I, I tweeted this the other day, they actually had an advertisement running several days, and they didn't spell Biden right. So they were asking people to write in Joe Biden, and they didn't spell his name on the advertisements they were blasting out. It was amazing. So so it's been very confusing on the Democratic side. So I think if you're an undeclared voter, you say, hey, I'll, I'll go to the polls, and I'll I'm going to vote for somebody, and uh, we'll see who that's going to be. But I think that if you're not already solidly in the former president's territory, as I mentioned, the goalpost thing, you might probably go somewhere else. And that was the thing with Chris Christie voters. He had nine points, but 100 percent of those people also said that they they had an unfavorable opinion of the former president. So if that nine points goes with Haley, Haley has more momentum. She's hitting the ground hard. This could be a real race in New Hampshire. All right, Neil. Well, well, I guess in the next day or two, I'm sure Donald Trump's going to be asked tonight or at some point today if he's going to debate Thursday. If officially, because you're involved in this with ABC and WMUR, your college, have you heard back from the Trump people if he's said yes or no? I don't know that uh, for sure. I think that's a little above my pay grade, whether or not they decide to do that. And I think they have the option almost at the last minute to decide they're going to get in. So uh, we'll wait and see. You know, debates are good because people watch them. And if you're trying to get votes, it's pretty good to be on a debate stage. All right, buddy. Thank you. Neil Vec, Institute of Politics, Thanks, San Jackson College. Brad Card, we have a few moments. We'll probably get you again at 10. But real quickly, 
Nikki Haley in the studio this morning. You know the Iowa results. Interesting, Ron DeSantis goes to South Carolina this morning, not New Hampshire. And we just had some news made. I don't know if you heard the interview with Nikki Haley. St. Anselm College, your alma mater, is supposed to have a big debate Thursday night. Nikki Haley's not committed because she's waiting for Donald Trump to commit because she said she'll debate if Trump shows up. I don't think he will, but take it away, Brad. One week to go from today, you'll be up here with us, one of our political analysts and all-stars at St. A's West Wing covering the morning and the evening. Take it away, Brad. Yeah, I will. Look, at this is a, no matter how you slice it, Donald Trump had a pretty good day in uh, Iowa yesterday. Um, and, and, and so he is trying to be that guy that, as if it's already over. It's not over. We know that Iowa does not pick presidents. They just don't. And uh, people who win Iowa often do not win New Hampshire, and they do not go on to get the nomination. So, look, at Nikki Haley's doing what she needs to do. She's back in the state bright and early. As she said, as she, said you know, she was in Iowa yesterday. Now she's already in New Hampshire. She had events in New Hampshire, and now she's campaigning in New Hampshire with the governor. So, look, I think, she, I think that she's got to put up right now. I mean, it's time to put up. You know, she's going to have to show that she's got this organization in New Hampshire and she's got to get her folks to the poll. Uh, Vivek Rasmuswani is out of the race now, endorses President Trump. Um, I'm curious to see what Ron DeSantis is going to do. Um, you say he's going to South Carolina. I don't see a path for him in South Carolina. Certainly don't. he doesn't see a path in New Hampshire, obviously, if he's not even in New Hampshire right now. Um, his campaign is on life support. Nikki Haley is the alternative candidate to Donald Trump, so are, can't, are people going to coalesce around that alternative candidate, meaning Nikki Haley, or are they going to uh, fold? I would not be surprised if DeSantis got out and endorsed Donald Trump, uh, because you know what? These people are young. They want to have a future career in politics. They want to be part of a administration, potentially, if Donald Trump becomes president. And right now, given how poorly President Biden is doing, uh, it, it's not unusual. I, w- I think a reasonable person could conclude let's, that Donald Trump has a pretty good chance of winning the, the presidency. Brad, let's go back to New Hampshire next Tuesday. The weather, by the way, I looked ahead, is actually nice, about low 40 sunshine. So you're not going to see like 20 below and a big snowstorm here. So the weather's nice. Turnout might be bigger than people think because there's no Democrat primary to speak of. You know, Biden's not on the ticket, if you will, or ballot. So maybe 260, maybe 270,000 people vote in the primary. Does that mean it's unpredictable, or do you think it's still Trump's to lose a week from today here? Well, it looks like right now it looks like it's Trump's to lose. Um, Nikki Haley's going to have to prove that she can win, and the way you do that is by winning um, and, and, and not otherwise. I, you know, I'd like to see folks be a little bit more direct. I mean, you have a number of the inconsistencies that Donald Trump has. You know, we talked about the stimulus, Jack. You and I talked about this on the radio when it was happening during covid I mean, we're giving checks under Donald Trump's leadership, and he was directing folks to give checks, even to federal government employees, workers that we knew were never going to miss a paycheck. Also gave checks to Social Security recipients that were never going to miss a paycheck. So things like that I think Nikki Haley ought to be talking about. Um, that was right. that was not good stewardship of American taxpayer dollars, and certainly I think the federal government did the right thing in stepping in to help people that were out of work meaning a lot of the service workers. Um, but when we knew as a federal government right. we were going to keep giving checks to people that were federal government employees, I don't know why we would right. give them a bonus. You and I agreed at the time. Brad, we're going to get you an hour from now as well. We're going to get you back. We've got to go to a break because we've been heavy with Nikki Haley in the studio this morning. Brad Card and our other Great. guest, good morning, New Hampshire, the Pulse of an H, back with Doug Tegnan, a quick worldwide market perspective next.
Doug Tangden, Worldwide Market Perspective. We have a special guest, top of the 10 o'clock, a retired Supreme Court Chief Justice here in New Hampshire, previewing our mental health and addiction forum tomorrow. He'll be in our studios. But Doug Tangden, Worldwide Market Perspective. Busy Tuesday morning, Doug. A little bit of snow in the forecast. Still uh, a hard economy to read. What, what are you looking at this week, Doug? I'm looking at central bank policy. I mean, this is the, this is the week. While we're focused on uh, politics here, um, the big uh, mugga are off in Davos talking about, uh, talking about the global, global economy. And I'm looking at central bank policy. Up until this point, central banks have all been easing. They've all been kind of on the same page that way, and that's good news. But if, if leading indicators head south any more sharply, we might be looking at a hard landing rather than a soft landing, and that wouldn't be good for anybody. Yeah, and I, I, it's interesting how, you know, you think today with all the conscientious folks on climate change and private jet fuel consumption and carbon footprint that this mucky muck thing in Davos, they would just do a Zoom call. That, yeah, that would make a lot of sense, but they wouldn't have the chance to, to, uh, to cruise and schmooze, and, you know, the evening parties at Davos, apparently. I've, I've never been any place like that, but that, that apparently is the, uh, is, is the place where things happen. I, I, the, the, the who's who. Um, but don't worry right. about how big your jet is, I guess, when you come in, right? Right, right, right. And, Doug, the other thing, too, I am hearing, because I always think real estate is such a barometer here. Same thing now I'm hearing in different markets in New England. Low inventory, but things are slowing, and maybe it's time of year. And I don't know about how the Home Depots and Lowe's are doing or the Weekend Warrior stuff, but it definitely feels that real estate's, you know, I'm not saying coming to a halt, but it's slowing pretty slow. Well, we're, see- we're feeling the effects of the, of the Fed's higher interest rates. And what I'd love to hear, and of course, you know, uh, it was wonderful that Nikki Haley was on your show. I'd love to hear them say, what would they do about the economy? How would they realistically do things to deregulate, to, uh, to reduce the, the regulatory burden that small businesses have, that treat them as if they were the Home Depots and the Walmarts and the, uh, and, and, and the, and the giants, giants of the world? What would, what would they do to free up the entrepreneurial energy of the economy? Because there's a ton of entrepreneurs out there who just want to get government out of the way. Yep, I appreciate it. Doug Tang, the Worldwide Market Perspective, with a little bit of snow on the ground. Thank you, Doug. Jack, you have a great week. Paul Steinhauser has been braving the shivering temperatures of Iowa Live for Fox News GMI Studios. Good morning, Steiny. Hey, good morning. I'm in Detroit right now, connecting flights on my way back to Logan and then back to the 603, Jack. But, uh, oh, man, I mean, that you talk about a dominating victory. That's what Donald Trump had last night in Iowa, right? He won 98 of the 99 counties. He topped 50%. He shattered the old margin of victory in a Republican caucus out there. Jack, this was a total, total victory for him. And, you know, I mean, a clear sign that he still dominates the Republican Party, at least in, in red states. But it's a very different electorate, as you know, in New Hampshire. Independents will play a huge role in our primary. So it's going to be fascinating to see Trump, of course, He'll be in Atkinson later today. Haley, I know she was with you earlier. Uh, she came in uh, uh, third behind DeSantis. She's going to be up at the Mount Washington uh, uh, later today, this tonight. And uh, Ron DeSantis, after a quick stop in South Carolina this morning, Haley's home to state. He's heading our way as well, Jack. And, you know, it's going to be a very fascinating final week here, Paul. The question is, can Trump do it again here? Can he win? And if he wins... Is it by, you know, is it a 10-point win? Is there a surprise or not? And then it does go on to South Carolina. And will there be a debate Thursday night at St. A's 
ABC debate or not, Paul? I think Haley was very clear both in a statement she put out and I believe with you, right, that she's only going to debate if Trump is there. Why would Trump debate? Right. I mean, Jack, listen, as much as we all want to see him on the stage and he needs to be there, I mean, look at his strategy. It's yeah. worked so far. So I, I, he ain't, he's not going to be on the stage. I don't see, you know, the, that debate happening or CNN's right. trying to do a debate on Sunday night. That's not going to happen either, Jack. Yeah. I guess so. No debate. All right, Paul Steinhauser. Thank you, Paul. Have a great one. John Broderick. Maybe doesn't need an introduction, but maybe he does. Uh, great friend, done so much in to serve New Hampshire on the justice side, so st- uh, state Supreme Court, um, public policy, but also really um, the the early, probably lone pioneer on speaking up about how many young kids battle anxiety, depression, mental health, too often addiction, as well as adults. And that's really, John, you're one of the reasons why I've been motivated over the years to interview and raise awareness in tomorrow at Town Hall. Who better to come in and talk about the importance of this? And, of course, your book. Get this book, Back Roads and Highways, John Broderick, Jr., my discovery to my journey to discovery of mental health. Justice Broderick, thank you. Jack, thanks for having me on. And it's nice to be here with young people, by the way, who are here to watch the primary. I have so many fond memories of that. And New Hampshire deserves to be. Uh, the number one primary in the United States, and I hope it remains there. It's a great experience, and the people of the state take it very seriously. And so the week ahead should be exciting. Yeah, thank you. And we have a professor, uh, Professor Jill Oddington, I I believe is your public policy professor. Jill, you've been in this morning early. Thank you, and you have some great students. Thank you. It's certainly nice to be here, and New Hampshire is a great state. We're glad to be able to experience the presidential primary firsthand. And it was certainly lucky that we got to see Nikki Haley here this morning. And Emily and Jackson, thank you both students for being here. And caring about, I think John would agree with me, caring about being informed and the electoral process, public policy in a civic, civil way. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's definitely an important topic for someone our age to be focusing on, especially in this current climate. It's yeah. Emily and Jackson. Tell me where you're both from. I'm from Wilmington, Delaware. And I'm from Asheville, North Carolina. So, Iwan University, just before, I'm going to come back to John a little bit on his book, and he's going to join us after the next segment, but what are you, what are you sensing? Are you sensing differences between the states, like Governor Hill is talking about, when you go to these states, you're from, you know, you know South Carolina, but your schools, I believe, in North Carolina, but, you know, does each, each part of the country seem different in terms of what voters care about, or do you see some similarities? Absolutely. I think uh, we were originally in South Carolina before coming here, and the biggest thing that I kind of picked up on is voters are now not really wanting to claim a side, Democrat or Republican. People are saying, oh, I relate more to independent leaning this way. Mm. What about you, sir, Jackson? Yeah, I would have to agree with that. A lot of the people that we spoke to on the ground were very reluctant to even label themselves a good majority of the time. Um, they would kind of mention what issues were important to them and then kind of like walk around like, okay, so these are the type of people that I would be looking for as opposed to being like, yes, I am 100% for this person. It was very much so kind of beating around the bush. John, before we come back to your passionate topic, you obviously know a lot about politics, very good friends with former presidents. I have to ask you, John, I don't question a thing these students just said. So why do we have this dichotomy, John Broderick, between voters who kind of don't want more of the same, they don't want the divisiveness, they don't like what's happening, they don't like what's happening in Washington, for the most part, and probably don't want the same two 
nominees of last time around. Why does it appear that we're on possibly on the track of more of the same? Well, it's pretty hard, Jack, in a presidential year to, to have the incumbent who wants to run uh, be told he or she can't run. So that's not surprising. I, I think the country is so divided at so many levels and, you know, we've become tribal in a way. And I'm concerned about it, to be very honest as an American, that the country cannot continue to be dysfunctional. And at some point, we all need to understand that compromise is a good thing, uh, that middle ground is possible. And I believe that most Americans uh, worry first about their family and their community. And a lot of them uh, feel that the world is moving beyond them. And, and I think that's the challenge, to let people feel that they're being heard uh, and that actions are being taken in their interest. If you tune into Washington for more than 24 hours, you wonder who they're talking to or about, right. but usually it's not you. <laughs> and, and and true, and I, I think most people are the same. We all have our differences, but we have a lot of commonalities, but not unless we're willing to be honest and willing to accept that just because we think it doesn't make it true. And I think we've lost some of that ability to listen. And that's really destructive for a democracy. And so I'm hoping, I love young people, believe me, I, this generation is amazing. Um, and my sense is they will right the ship. It's not fair to them. Yeah. But uh, the, the older folks, I think, have, have let their guard down. And I think younger people see that and will do everything within right. their power to fix it. Emily and Jackson and uh, Jill were the professor, but Emily and Jackson as students, when you get around and you talk to your peers, not so much voters in these states, but your own peers, are they down or upbeat on our institutions, our politics, Washington, Congress? Where are they at? Yeah, so for me personally, Elon University is very apolitical in its student body, but personally speaking with my friends and all of that, a lot of people are really discouraged by the specific options that are available as well as just the general state of the United States political climate. People are not excited about getting out to vote, at least that I'm aware of. Uh, people are looking for something different and they don't want what happened in 2020 to happen again in 2024. And uh, let me, uh, uh, Emily, before we go to a break. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm seeing a lot of... Um, blatant ignorance about what's going on in our current state. No one's really engaging or wanting to engage because everyone just feels like it's a lose-lose situation. And we're here to figure out that there are more options and there is a lot more that we need to look into before getting discouraged. My next guest, and of course, John Broderick in our studios, um, just a wonderful individual. His book, uh, Retired Chief Justice of the State Supreme Court, Backroads and Highways, My Journey to Discovery on Mental Health, as John's been a leading advocate on trying to raise awareness for kids <clears throat> and families. Uh, Eric Eckberg, CEO of Granite Recovery Center, is our presenting sponsor. With the eyes of the nation on New Hampshire, tomorrow morning, Capital Center for the Arts Bank of New Hampshire stage, we're going to fill that auditorium. It's going to be a great three-hour live town hall program, my normal show on location. Seating is free if you want to come, but get there about 8 o'clock. Um, the state of mental health and addiction right here at home. 
And uh, John Broderick and Eric, I know you've heard of Eric and Granite Recovery Centers. John Broderick, good friend of mine, wanted you in today because Eric really, years ago, John Broderick started this this open crusade, if you will, a mission to go to schools and talk to kids and parents. And uh, he's been doing it for about eight years, and uh, it's an important thing. So I want to bring you two together and talk about the importance of tomorrow, Eric. Very important day tomorrow. Oh, huge. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to it. Uh, started talking about it you know, a couple of months ago. Um, it's so critical. It's so critical to get the message out, awareness, education. We just got to keep beating, uh, beating the drum. Uh, things like fentanyl that uh, still, uh, you know, number one crisis, not only in the state of New Hampshire, but across the country, uh, but just in general, addiction. There is help. There is hope. Uh, let's get the word out. John Broderick, meet Eric Eckberg. Eric, John Broderick. John. Uh, Eric, nice to, nice to meet you. And I, I just want to emphasize what you said. Um, I've been spending the last eight years of my life uh, traveling and speaking wherever I'm invited. I've spoken at 360 schools and to over 120,000 kids at this point. But mostly kids have confided in me, their grandfathers I've never met. Uh, I know this generation pretty well. I think they're pretty extraordinary. But let's be honest, a lot of kids today uh, are suffering from anxiety and depression and stress. One in five adolescents in the United States has a diagnosable mental health problem. One in five adults, too, by the way. And there's so much we could be doing. But the first step, I think, is honesty and humility to talk about it, to normalize it, to demythologize it. Whatever our image is of mental health, it's way past time we changed it. And I've met some extraordinary young people in my travels who are suffering, um, who will be accomplished people. It's not that they don't have skills or capacities but many of them are dealing with issues that they feel uncomfortable talking about with parents. They'll talk to me, but then again, they'll never see me again. And they know I won't judge them or shame them or blame them. It's not their fault. And while kids have a lot of these problems, some of them uh, migrate to addiction, not always, but co-occurring problems, mental health and addiction are fairly common. But we don't have a mental health system in this country, and we haven't had one forever. And we could if we wanted. Uh, it used to be that way for breast cancer and AIDS. Well, it's John, not, let me interrupt, now. if I may. Why sure. is that? Because, John, Eric and I have talked about this, and Eric, I want you to elaborate. But, John, Broderick, sure. why is that? Because, you know, for so many decades, if you had a loved one in your family that was diagnosed with cancer, you kind of felt like you were on an island. You were alone. And today... You have the community, you have neighbors, you have groups. People are almost encouraging you on your battle. But if you have depression, mental health, addiction, you feel like you're on an island. How do we make this top and center so you don't wind up in an emergency room in a hospital with a loved one that's not equipped to deal with this? Part of the problem, Jack, cancer at its low ebb was never thought to have been caused from malevolence or an evil heart or a possession from some demon. Uh, Mental health has been treated... Uh, that way for much of its life. Obviously, it's improving. But it will never really get to where we need to get unless we start talking about it. Understanding that the mentally ill person is likely sitting next to you or sitting at your dinner table or your child's best friend. 
and they're good and decent people. They just have these issues. To give you the gap, everyone listening this morning knows the color for breast cancer awareness. Mm-hmm. Everyone. And mm-hmm. that's a good thing. If I ask those same people, what's the color for mental health? They would say, you're kidding. It has a color? I didn't know that. Right. That's what I'm talking about. Once we all know it, that will mean we're verbalizing it, normalizing it, and supporting people, not point. criticizing people who are suffering. Uh, Eric, take it away. Sure. Well, first of all, I, I, I've heard nothing but wonderful and great things from Justice Broderick and all the work he's done. So thank you so much. Uh, we, we, we need more people like you uh, in our communities. Um, it, I think there's a couple of things going on one one of them is uh, ironically good mental health and addiction has affected so many people so many families it's not just the problem mm-hmm. you know in the inner city and uh, social economic lower class it's it's everyone so because of that so many more people are aware and i think it's done a decent job on on the stigma uh, the other thing that isn't so good and we all know about this our young people are they isolate. They're all on attached to their cell phones, attached to gaming, attached to the Internet. No longer are, are we able to really uh, find these people uh, and let them know that there is help. And, you know, you, you talked about it, Justice Broderick. They talk to you because maybe they won't see you again. Uh, we, we've got to figure this, this out um, because those are the folks that are falling through the cracks. Um, how, how do we get... Uh, that out to them. J-Doc, would you mind with Eric and John, before we go to a break, could I bring in just our Elon University students? They're here in political science, but they're younger folks. And I think maybe Jackson and Emily, my gut is they could speak to this a little bit of what you're hearing. Do you both just have a comment maybe or not? Um, Yeah, I do. I am still seeing from my generation that there is a huge stereotype when it comes to mental health. And yes, it might have improved since, say, my mother's generation, but just because of social media and people are talking about it, but people are still judging. People are still shaming people who have addiction issues or mental health disorders and making people hide and isolate. Yeah, I would have to agree. Um, As someone who has, and it still is, involved in counseling and stuff like that, I would say if you're young out there and you are struggling, do your best, talk to someone. There is always somebody that you can go talk to, and that is really, really important that you do that, so... Yeah, I just I think the stigma thing, I said to you, John, before I let you go, and Eric, and thank you both. The students have been wonderful, and their professors, Jill and Israel. What a wonderful Elon University. I, what a, you, know, it's, you know, John, it's funny because a lot of times I get discouraged, and when I meet young people like this, it gives me an upper. It gives me a boost like, hey, you know what? We have a future. <laughs> um, but, John, um, in the workplace, to, uh, to our students' points, um, if someone says, hey, John, see any of the games this weekend? You know, I was out shoveling snow. I threw my back out, uh, my I, my disc. I threw my back out. People say, oh, totally. They start telling you what to do, put ice on it, don't do this, rest, take some, uh, you know, anti-inflammatory. Um, but if you say to someone in the workplace, you know, I came off the weekend, I'm depressed, I feel down, I don't want to talk to anyone, I feel angry, people walk the other way. Yeah, it's, it's something we need to tackle, Jack, and it happens a household at a time, a community at a time. I think the fact that there are celebrities speaking out about their mental health is helpful. Uh, Michael Phelps, who won only 27 more gold medals than I did, 
a huge species of ballads, Simone Biles. Yeah. Uh, it's an everyday, everywhere problem. And young people, I love this generation, I mean that, uh, they're smarter than we were, and they see the problem, and they are tired yeah. of the judgment. They really are, and they're yeah. right to feel that way. We need to start supporting people, not judging them. Yeah. All right, before John, thank you so much for your time. Again, the book, I urge everyone out there to get this because it will do good. It could be your family, your nephew, your niece, you, your neighbors. Uh, John T. Broderick. What's a T for, by the way, buddy? Uh, Timothy. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. What, what do you mean junior? You're a senior to me. You're, I look up to you. No, my father was a senior. No, it's right. a good Irish middle name, Jack. Back roads and highways, my journey to discovery on mental health. And Eric, final word on tomorrow. Encourage people to be there. Eric Eckberg, Granite Recovery Center's presenting sponsor. He'll be on stage with me. It's a very important day tomorrow morning. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it, Jack. Thanks again for putting this together. It's going to be a great three hours. Uh, a lot of alumni are going to be there from, from uh, Granite Recovery Centers. Hear some stories, some, some stories of hope. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So thanks again. Eric, I had a, a, a media friend of mine from another a national media in town. I've known him. He said, you're doing a mental health addiction town hall a few days before the primary. Who's, who's organizing it? Who's producing it? I said, I, go, I think I am. And he goes, how are you doing all that? I go, I have no idea. I just told everyone to show up, and they are. I'll figure it out. That's right. That's right. right. See you tomorrow, Eric. Thanks, Jack. Get there early, Eric. We have a nice reception at 8 o'clock. Thank you. Oh, I'll be there. Thanks, Jack. Brad, I'm going to ask you to roll a bit differently here now, because we have uh, Israel is one of the professors with Elon University and a couple of his students he's going to introduce. So you're a dad of students or kids, Brad. Um, The younger generation's here covering the primary. They've been going around the different states. They're headed from here to South Carolina, but they're here for a week. You'll see them next Tuesday at your alma mater. So, Brad, I'm going to ask you to mix in with Israel, saying, uh, Brad Card, by the way, former chief of staff down in Washington, uh, Card and Associates. Israel, you might remember his brother, Andrew Card, longtime serving White House chief of staff for the Bush. Yep. Israel, say hi to Brad. Brad, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm glad you're up in the Granite State. Well, it's you know, to be up here and it's snowing and it's the primaries, it's like heaven. Now, Israel, Brad's go. a little bit afflicted like you and me and your students. To him, this is contact sports, politics. He loves it, lives it, eats it. He and I talk offline and online. He's a regular on my show. Introduce your students, and then we can kind of get some thoughts on Brad and make it open. So I've got Kaylee, who's a journalism major and a poli-sci minor, and I've got Lindsay, who is a policy studies. Is that right, Lindsay? Studies and political science, yes. Political science. And actually, we were down in South Carolina a week ago because mm-hmm. we were covering the Democratic primary, which, you know, they're still holding it, but yep. there's not much of a primary down there. And and certainly, Lindsay, you got to see up close sort of what's happening down there in South Carolina. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole other world down there. I think they're getting ready to be the first Democratic primary in the nation, and they're taking that role very responsibly, sort of echoing um, the responsibility that New Hampshire voters feel and being the first to set that trend for the nation, and I think they're trying to echo that down there. Well, you know, Brad, Brad, uh, Lindsay, Brad can speak to this, because last four years ago, you know, the, in the last election here, Wednesday, in the primary, it was largely a Democrat show. In fact, there were so many Democrats, it was like the starting lineup of an NFL team. I mean... People forget there were, what, Brad, about 18 or 20 of them running up here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then, of course, Joe Biden didn't do terribly well. Uh, Bernie Sanders, you know, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar. Biden's bus and plane, if you will, left New Hampshire in the middle of the day to go to South you know, Carolina. I've got, a question. I've got a question for you students. I said, it, it used to be, and I kind of go by the philosophy of former Senator Judd Gregg, if you're, if you're getting 60% of what you're looking for, you're winning, and take it and run. 
Um, and what we're seeing right now in Washington, D.C., and quite frankly, I see the electorate kind of shifting to this. If you don't get everything that you want, then you're trying to blow the system up in a sense. And that's what we see in Washington, D.C. with the Freedom Caucus and, quite frankly, with the, the hard left progressive caucus, where we see really intolerance on both sides, in my opinion. And we don't see, uh, you know, wins when they come along. And, and it used to be Republicans, if Republicans were in the majority, they'd get 60 percent on appropriations and things like that. And otherwise, they'd get, uh, you know, it, it, right now it is just complete partisanship. Um, and, and even voters that I talk to, you know, they're all or nothing. And that's kind of where the Trump voter is, in my opinion. So I'd be curious to get your thoughts. I mean, I think, you know, partisanship is a really big issue, but I know from our generation, talking to my friends, talking to my classmates, you know, we're very frustrated with the fact that it's all or nothing. I know a lot of people kind of are identifying as independents and kind of only focusing on one issue at a time. And, you know, it's, it's very, you know, uneven. Like, the ground is very uneven in terms of figuring it out. And, yeah, Lindsay, if you want to add to that. I think just adding on to what Kaylee was saying, are a lot of people in our generation are looking for that new generation of leadership, right? Looking for people who are um, working within the 21st century and looking to the future and saying, what do we have to do to make sure our children are healthy, they're safe, to make sure they're getting a good education? And who is looking to that future and saying, that's what I'm going to take on, and I'm going to make sure I look to the young people who are going through that currently and taking in their advice and leading the way. Well, you know what, Brad, and I'm going to keep this open. Everyone jump in. Um, is it last speaker, was that Lindsay? Yes. Lindsay, you made a good point. Um, you mentioned young. Neither Joe Biden or Donald Trump are terribly young. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of people want younger participation, younger leaders. The polls show that, but why do the major parties in reality and the big money in Washington show that? I mean, you look at the number of senators, no offense, Brad, in Washington that are in their 80s. They can't, it's impossible to almost beat them. They, when they run for election, there's 40 million, 50, 70 million dollars when they run. Incumbency becomes the measurement of success in Washington. Power, money, age. It's tough to crack in for a 38-year-old nurse or firefighter that wants to run for Congress. Yeah, and James Carville, you know, sort of the architect yep. of the Bill Clinton comeback kit campaign, he was on CNN, and he said, you know, the Democratic Party right now has one of the deepest benches that we've had in years. You've got uh, Governor Westmore in Maryland. You've got Gavin Newsom in California. You've got Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. So certainly when we were talking to Democrats in South Carolina, they like Biden, but they're frustrated that they don't have the choices to elect some of those members of that deep bench. Because their own parties muscle it. Yeah, the you DNC. Know, I, my, my, my perspective is a little bit different. I, you know, quite frankly, some I think Vivek Rasmuswani, for one, was trying to Rob tap Swan, into yeah. that uh, youth vote. And I think he started off where he had a path doing that. And then, quite frankly, he went kind of full-on crazy, in my opinion, um, where he, he, he just was not talking reality, you know, closing down. He wants to shut down all, the, all these different agencies, including the National Institutes of Health, and, I mean, going on and on. But I guess one of my questions along those lines is, what is the role of government, really, fundamentally? And, and is the government the correct entity to kind of be all, end all for all problems? My belief is that it's not. I think historic, repu historically Republicans have kind of been in that. We don't think that we, the, the government should be the answer for all our, all our woes. But I think that that's kind yeah. of changing a little bit. Yeah, our students, go ahead. 
I think that's an interesting point. I feel like a lot of people, and Kaylee can agree or disagree with this, a lot of people in our generation have issues that are very important to them and look to government to sort of fix them. And there were a lot of places where they fell short. And so now people within my generation, young 20s, mid-20s, early 30s, mid-30s, are saying, well, let me get a crack at this. Let me try. Let me see if I can get in there and make my impact in government, whether that's local, state, or federal. You know, let me try to see what I can do for government, what I can do for the people of my communities. Real quick, we already have a minute. Whoever wants to jump in with our students and Brad and Israel here, do you, especially the students, do you feel that Washington as a whole, Congress, the White House, the process is bought and paid for or not? I, you know, as a journalism major, you know, I read all these articles about how they're kind of more focusing on, you know, the donors rather than focusing on the people that voted for them. I think it's, you know, everyone's really frustrated on that. I think some people are trying to come out and say, we want to just focus on the voters. But I think it's really difficult when you're relying on a campaign and you need all that money. Yeah. So. All right. We have to run. Stay engaged. Hey, Brad, Brad, Stay engaged. listen, we're at our town hall, mental health and addiction, but Thursday we'll start going right at it. Friday, of course, Monday and Tuesday you'll be up here. Brad Card, Card Associates. Thanks, Brad. We'll see you. Israel, thank you so much. Outstanding students. Great. They're fortunate to have you. You're fortunate to have them. Elon, go Elon. Is that my new school? Elon University, man. Elon Come on University. down. Do your show from up there. Send me a hat. I'm a hat guy. <laughs> go Phoenix.